Lord God, you are faithful. You are faithful unto us in Christ Jesus, from whom we have salvation, and through the Holy Spirit, in whom we have sanctification. We pray that this morning, from your word, that we are sanctified in your truth, that we are formed evermore into the likeness of Christ. So open our hearts, we pray. Open our minds, renew us and transform us by your word. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. So for those who were not here last week, for those who are visiting, we have begun a three-part series on the Holy Spirit. Last week was convicted, and we saw that the primary, the first focus of the Holy Spirit's work is to convict the sin, convict the world of sin, righteousness, all pointing to the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that if we deny conviction, one of the main points was if we deny conviction, we deny repentance. And if there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness. And if there is no forgiveness, there is no salvation. So thus the power and the first work of the Holy Spirit is conviction of sin, righteousness, and then judgment. Today, we are going to further our study now into the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of people just have salvation as their ticket out of hell or their ticket into heaven. I'm saved. I know Jesus Christ. That's all I need. I got my ticket. I know where I'm going or where I'm not going. But is that all? Is that all there is? Or is there more to the life of being in Christ Jesus? And the answer is yes. There is much, much more of being in the life of Christ, of being his follower. We are not only saved, we are to be sanctified. So what is sanctification? Sanctification means to be set apart, to be made pure and holy. That's what you are to be. You are to be pure and holy. Now, if you're like me, you'd be like, pure and holy, I'm not that. I'm no saint. But in fact, I don't know if you know this, that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are already a saint. Yeah. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes again and again that those who are called in Christ Jesus are saints. He says this in his opening to letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So does that mean the people in Rome, the church of Rome, that they were perfect? No, it means that they have been called out. It means to be a saint is to be called aside to be consecrated as a people of God, to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be a saint. So if you want the message, the whole message today, in one little sentence, it is this. You are saints, so live your lives as saints. Amen. That's it, right? We're done. Yeah, I was like, everybody, okay, we're out of here now. If it were only that simple, right? 
If you and I could only live that way, it would be great. But I take a look at my life, and if you take a look at your life, we kind of go, we fall far short of that. And thus, we need the power of the Holy Spirit working on and in and through us to sanctify us so that we are called, set aside, consecrated, made pure and holy. So we're going to take a look at the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, in two parts today, the Spirit of Truth, and then being led by the Spirit. So let's go to the Spirit of Truth. John chapter 16, verse 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Again, let's set the context here. Jesus has not yet been crucified. This is on the night in which he was to go to be taken and captured and then crucified. So he has one last night with his disciples, and he has told them many things, but there are some things that he said that they can't bear now. That shouldn't surprise us, by the way. They couldn't fully understand. They couldn't fully comprehend that he truly had to be tortured. He had to be crucified. He had to die for their sin and then be resurrection and ultimately ascended into heaven. He couldn't tell them all of that because they couldn't bear that now. And that should be understandable because you and I do that with children. With children, we raise them up. There are certain things, certain truths about the world that they can't bear, that they shouldn't have to know until they are older at a certain age when they can start to comprehend that. In the same way, raising up children in faith, we don't tell them everything all at once. We tell them what they can take in. Now, with the disciples, Jesus said, there are some things that the spirit of truth will tell you and guide you after I am gone. So let's talk a little bit about the spirit of truth. We're going to pause here for a moment, because in your text, in the Bible, it says, when the spirit of truth comes. It says spirit of truth. When people say spirit of truth, they often read into that the spirit of a truth, like a small letter T. We call reading into it the spirit of a truth, subjective truth. Subjective truth says this, that is based on a person's perspective, feelings, or opinions. What that means is, if I believe something, therefore it is true, whether it has any basis in anything else, it is true because I believe it. And you see that a lot in our culture today. Everybody has their own truth. And thus, there's a lot of disunity in the world because nobody can actually agree what's true not or not. But when Jesus says the spirit of truth, it is not truth with a small letter T. It would be the spirit of truth with a capital T. This is objective truth. 
Objective truth means it is true for all cultures at all times at all places. It does not matter if you were born in Indiana or Ohio or Arizona or if you live in the U.S. or if you were born in Iraq or Iran or China or anywhere else. Objective truth is true across all people, across all time, across all cultures. People don't like that, by the way. But that's what the Bible says. It is truth. And thus, when he says the Spirit will lead you into all truth, we should also be warned here that we're not talking about a greater truth of some sort, like there's some little hidden meaning truth. Thus, but people want that. They want, oh, oh, what's the truth? What's, What's the truth? There's some hidden meaning truth in here. That's called Gnosticism, if you really want the big word for it. But there's a movie, a book called The The Shack. It has led you into other truths that have not been revealed. Da Vinci Code. Have you either read the book or seen that movie? That was all about finding the secret hidden meaning somewhere along the way, a different truth. We find religious leaders want to do that too. For example, Joseph Smith with Mormons. They also have their revealed or secret hidden truth that has now been only given to them. Jim Jones, who remembers Jim Jones? Yeah, Jim Jones. 918 people died because he convinced them to drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. Drinking the Kool-Aid, as they say. All of these people, all of these things are actually a rejection of the spirit of truth leading you into all truth because what people miss they miss the full context of the scripture because here's what it says it says for he the spirit will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. If you read those over and over again, what you find is the Holy Spirit speaks what Jesus gave. Jesus speaks what the Father gave. The Father gave what Jesus said. Jesus said what the Holy Spirit says. Do you understand that they're all in unison here? There's nothing separate from the Father. There's nothing separate from Jesus. So the point is this, very simply. The Spirit and the leading of the Spirit will always point to Jesus who is the truth, not a truth. Therefore, into all truth must mean a greater understanding of who Jesus is. People want to take the Holy Spirit and say, all right, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit into having a better life, having a better marriage, having a better... Fine. But the work of the Holy Spirit primarily is then to lead you into greater truth of who Jesus is. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Being transformed into His image. And if you read the text, here's what it says. It's all for the glory of Jesus. And this is going to be the hard part. Your sanctification is not for your own glory. 
It is for the glory of Christ. So if you want another way to sum up this entire sermon, it is this. You are saints, called to be saints, for the glory of, of Christ Jesus. You are saints, called to be saints, for the glory of Christ Jesus. Thus, the work of sanctification is not found first in you, it's found in Christ Jesus. Everything that you have, your thoughts, your emotions, your spiritual nature, your physical nature, all is being purified, being made pure and holy because and for Christ Jesus. See, you have to ground yourself in this first because when we're going to get into this next section, this next section, if you're not grounded that it is in the gospel message of Christ Jesus, then it just becomes a bunch of rules about how to live a better life. But that's not it at all. That's not what sanctification is about at all. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what with my commandments? You will obey. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. In James, it says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourself, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your body as a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, the Bible has a lot about right believing, but it's not only right believing, it is right living. That's the part of sanctification. It's not just that I believe and therefore I got my ticket out of hell or into heaven. It is now live as the saints you are called to be. So now we're going to shift a little bit into the second part, which is to live by the Spirit. We're going to go and focus more on Romans, our reading from Romans today, chapter 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's a strong exhortation, right? There's that biblical Phrase, the exhortation, the calling out of you to live not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. So what does it mean to live by the flesh? Again, we don't have to figure this out. We can just go to Scripture. If you really want Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty strong exhortation, isn't it? And by the way, 
That's not the whole list. If you go look in Scripture, there's a lot more that could be said about what does it mean to live a life as a saint. It's a process of being made pure, of taking what is unrighteous and putting that aside and being filled, purified with what is holy and righteous. How many of you have ever been involved in making maple syrup? Anybody? None? Not even from the... Okay. So, maple. you've had maple syrup? <laughs> okay, well, at least start there, right? But if you've seen... <clears throat> excuse me. If you've seen any pictures of that process, you know they have to tap the trees. And so they have tubes, and it runs to one large container where they collect it. Now, on a good day, 50 trees will make about 30 to 40 gallons of maple, uh, not not water, really is what it is, because it's not syrup by any means. Then it's just water, it's got junk in it, and it barely tastes sweet. So do you know what they have to do to make this maple syrup? They have to actually boil it down. They put it under a fire, and they boil it down until it condenses And as it condenses, they have to strain it several times to get out the impurities until it is finally all just pure golden brown maple syrup. Who wants pancakes now? Right? But it's wonderful. Now, have you ever tasted real maple syrup and then fake maple syrup? Right? You you know the difference. You kind of go, all right, I'll pay more because it's the real stuff. This is kind of like sanctification in a way. Unfortunately, this example kind of goes, oh, isn't that nice? It's so sweet. And it's nice unless you're actually the maple syrup. Because what happens? How does it get purified? It gets boiled down, doesn't it? And it gets strained several times. It is not a nice... You you like the result You like the result of sanctification, but you don't like the process of sanctification. And the reason for it is this, and if it's in your notes, fill in the blanks. We live in the flesh because we are still in the world. We live according to the flesh because of our old nature, which wishes to rise and rebel against God's will and desire. Here's how sanctification often plays out in the world. Not, big, not through big tests and trials and tribulations, although there certainly are that. On a day-to-day basis, have you ever said, yeah, you know, I probably shouldn't do that? I know you've all said something like that before. Ah, I probably shouldn't do that. I probably shouldn't, and you fill in the blank for yourself, but then you go ahead and do it. That is the war of the flesh against the spirit. Now, are such little things such a big deal? I really shouldn't watch that show. I really shouldn't take that extra drink. I really shouldn't. And you fill in whatever, you know, go back to Galatians. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 if you really want. See, it's that war that we have going on with the Spirit. But that war is a deadly war. Because in the flesh, the only thing that's left is death. In the spirit, 
That's life. And we want to minimize that. We want to say, you know what? It's not such a big deal. Are you saying I have to give my entire whole life to be purified, to be sanctified? And the answer is resoundingly, yes, you are saints. So live as saints. But the thing is, in America, in Christian America, there are so many people that you can't tell they're Christians. They look and live exactly like the rest of the world. They say it's not a big deal. And when they do that, they cheapen God's grace. They cheapen the message of the gospel. They cheapen sanctification. Do you remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Anybody know? So he was a Lutheran pastor who lived during World War II. And he was in Germany. And uh, he was actually killed not very long before the war ended. He was executed. But he wrote a book about discipleship, and it's called The Cost of Discipleship. And he talks about how grace, God's grace, is not cheap. It is costly. He says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is the sanctuary of God. It has to be protected from the world and not thrown to the dogs. Because what God has done for us, we are then to be sanctified, to put to death what is in the flesh and to live by the Spirit. But what does that mean to be led by the Spirit? And if you hear me notes, it is this. It is the constant, ever-present reminder of both conviction of sin and the reminder of the gospel message. It is again and again being pointed to Jesus, who is the source of all truth, righteousness, holiness, and purity. Simply put, it means living day by day in your new identity in Christ. Romans chapter, uh, from our reading, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions as sons in whom we cry, Abba. Father, look, you have a new identity in Christ. You are adopted in the family. You have full rights as any son or daughter of God. And cry out, Abba, Father, I want to live, I want to walk fully in the Spirit as your son, as your daughter, as a child of God, with Christ Jesus as Savior. So how do you go about doing that? How do you go about living as one who has been set free from sin? Sermon notes have four points. The first one is fill yourself with what is good. That sounds too obvious, but fill yourself 
with what is good. The great evangelist D.L. Moody, he did this once he had an illustration. One second. Works better with an empty glass. He said, tell me, how can I get the air out of this glass? How can I get the air out of this glass? Well, one, one person said, well, you could suck it out, right? You could put a lid on there, suck it out, and D.L. Moody said, no, that would actually shatter the glass. And a lot of people gave every other thing, but none of the answers would work. Do you know how to get the air out of this glass? What? Fill it with water. You get the air out of the glass by filling it with water. How do you get the sin out of your life? It's not simply by trying to take the sin out of your life. That will certainly help. But what actually will get the sin out of your life is by filling yourself with what is good. Well, what is good? We find this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Fill your mind with what is good and true and noble. And where do we find all of that? In the Bible, God's Word. Number two, pray for the Spirit to point out areas in your life that need to be put to, to death. Here's the secret. The closer you come to Christ Jesus, the more you will abhor sin. If you don't abhor sin, you might wonder how close you are to Christ because he is what is true and noble and righteous. So pray, Lord, are there areas in my life that I should be more sensitive to? Are there areas in my life in which I am callous and hard of heart? Mark chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. It is to put to death what is in the flesh. Number three, repent and seek forgiveness. So if you are convicted, repent. This week I was, I was privileged to be in the presence of a person who was truly convicted of sin and repentance was there. And because of repentance, there was forgiveness. And because of forgiveness, there was a restored relationship. And it was a beautiful sight to see. Number four, Seek out other mature Christians for guidance and accountability. Sometimes sin is sticky, and it wants to stick to you like nothing else. And you need another partner, somebody else, who is mature in their faith to walk alongside you and to guide you. Four things. Fill yourself with what is good. Pray for the Spirit to point out areas in your life that need to be put to death. Repent and seek forgiveness and seek out mature Christians for guidance and accountability. And then when you are then led by the Spirit, then you have the fruit of the Spirit. 
Remember the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. You want those things? I do. Be led by the Spirit. Thus, be sanctified. You are saints. Live as saints for the glory of Christ Jesus. We'll end with 1 Thessalonians, which is also our benediction. Now may the peace of God himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And with that assurance of his work, we all say, Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.